cough. You're dismissed, high schoolers, middle schoolers. The rest of you can sit down, okay? You know, actually in the Bible, um, if you notice that Jesus would sit and the people would stand during the teaching, so someday we ought to try that. So, <laughs> Look at all the young people, guys. Isn't it, isn't it a blessing? They're still filing out. It is a tremendous blessing. All right, we got a Bible study. Where did I put my Bible? So I left it on the communion table. <laughs> Psalm 125, if you'll turn there. I got a funny story about communion table. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. When I was down at Ground Zero, uh, we were cleaning up a, a little Catholic church um, that uh, was near Ground Zero. And um, we were cleaning it up because it was going to be a place where all the um, workers there, and it, it was recovery. Uh, it was uh, a few weeks after the towers had fell. And so uh, we go in and clean the dust off. It was about 100 yards from where the towers fell. And this, this little Catholic church, miraculously, uh, there really wasn't any damage. So what we were doing is having a place for... Um, uh, all the, the workers down there and recover people and, and uh, all those that were there to be able to come in and get a sandwich and, and get out of the, um, you know, just come in and relax and just be able to talk to them and all that. So we were, I was moving a communion table and, and I sat on it and boy, did I get in big trouble by the priest who didn't like that. So <laughs> I've learned to kind of stay away from it. So anyway, <laughs> Psalm 125. I do have a few announcements uh, for tonight, and I don't know what I did with my bulletin, but there are a number of things that are taking place. We do have on Friday, um, we have young adults uh, or Cairo that is meeting, and so we want to make sure that you guys know about that. And Jesse gave me a sticker that talks about next Friday. Here it is. So um, next Friday, Jesse's going to be leaving next Friday for Jordan. So uh, what we're going to do next week is, is pray for him. Uh, but there's going to be, and we'll have it in the bulletin, but I just want to make sure you young adults know uh, that there's going to be uh, a barbecue at Lorna and Burt's, and we'll have uh, the time at 6 o'clock and the uh, address for that. So that's for next week. But this week, Cairo, finishing the book of James, right, 7 o'clock, Jesse, and um, so come to that, young adults. And then um, also first uh, Fridays, married young married couples meeting at 6 o'clock, Travis, on this Friday. So I want to remind you of that. And then in uh, Saturday morning, we have men's prayer at 7, and then men's breakfast at 8, and then we have the church cleanup. And I think the last that I heard the forecast is maybe some showers coming in in the afternoon. So hopefully we'll get some things done in the morning. So if you'd like to help, if you uh, just want to put your name and where you want to work inside or outside, we can help organize. So when we get here, we are organized and we can start cleaning. So 9 o'clock, that is going to take place. And uh, we'll go and usually finish around 11 or noon for that. So that's coming up on Saturday. And then there is some other things that are taking place. Uh, but um, there is the middle school Frisbee parents that they're reminding them of Frisbee Golf tomorrow night here at the church, 6 to 8 o'clock. And then there's some other things, but I'll let you look at the bulletin that are coming up after that Sunday. 
8, 9, 30, and 11. We're going to uh, be in chapter 3 of Luke's gospel. And looking forward to that as we're going to begin to see the ministry of John the Baptist. So, Father, we ask that you bless this time in the study of your word. Uh, as we go through these songs of the ascents, and again, we thank you for tonight, the wonderful worship, and just being able to just be still before you. I pray that that would continue as now we want to hear from you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. So Psalms 120 through 134, as I mentioned last week, are what are the songs of the ascents, or if you have a King James, the songs of degrees, and these are psalms that were sung during the time that the uh, pilgrims were coming up to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast. And there were three major feasts that they would celebrate. One was the feast of Passover in the spring. And then 50 days later would be the feast of Pentecost. And then in the fall of the year was the feast of Tabernacles. And that's when the pilgrims would make their way up to Jerusalem and they would sing these songs and, the, and they would repeat these psalms here in Psalm 120 through 134. So that's what we've been looking at. We looked at uh, Psalm 120 to 124 last time. So let's pick it up as a song of ascents in Psalm 125. That the psalmist writes, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. And as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. And from this time forth and forevermore. So here the psalmist is, is describing in this short psalm, only five verses long, actually three uh, kinds of people. First of all, those who trust in the Lord. And he says that those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. Now, what's that speaking about? It's speaking of stability, but it's also speaking about protection as well. You see, as the pilgrims would be coming into Jerusalem, most of them would be coming down the Jordan Valley. And that's the route that Jesus would take, as we know, as we read in the uh, Synoptic Gospels, as he would come into Jerusalem uh, right before his crucifixion, going to Passover. And he would be in Jericho. And he was coming down the Jordan Valley where Jericho was, where the Dead Sea is. It was a major route that connected three continents. As you look at Israel, that little tiny country, the size of New Jersey today, but that's where three continents are connected, Asia and, and Europe and Africa. So it was a major route for travelers, and they would go th uh, through the Jordan Valley, and the Dead Sea, of course, is the, uh, the, um, the you know, uh, deepest part of the world, that is the lowest elevation in the world, at 1,300 feet below sea. Level. And then it is Jericho that they would go through. And Jericho is about 900 feet below sea level. And then you would begin that steep climb from Jericho up to Jerusalem, which is about 2,300 feet above sea level. So for 15 miles from 900 feet below sea level to 2,300 feet above sea level, it's a steep climb. If, if you ever, you know, taken that route, you see how steep it is. And they would make their way up to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is located with these, these mountains, these hills and surrounding Jerusalem. You could come to the Mount of Olives, first of all, if you're coming up from the Jordan Valley and that was east of Jerusalem. And then you had Mount Zion that was to the south and Mount Scopus uh, that was there, Mount Moriah. So all these mountains that were there. And here what the psalmist is saying to us that for those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. In other words, they cannot be moved but abides forever. So steadfastness, stability and strength is spoken of 
for those of us who trust in the Lord. And that's true, isn't it? As we trust in him, there's going to be stability in your life. There's going to be strength that comes from knowing him and walking with him. And it comes from trusting in him. And when we talk about trusting in the Lord, it is that you are trusting him with your life. You are surrendered to him and to his ways. You acknowledge his ways are true. And Lord, I'm going to trust you with my salvation. And since I trust you with my salvation, because you are the one who has saved me, Jesus, you have gone to the cross, risen from the grave, and you are my salvation. There is none other. And if I can trust you with my salvation, coming in faith and trust in you in the finished work of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then know that you can trust him with your life. And you see, we need to always keep that in mind. So not only does it bring stability to us, because there's a lot of people that don't have stability in their life because they don't know the Lord. We are tremendously blessed, don't we? We have stability. And then also, not only that, but it speaks of protection because those mountains would protect as well. It would be hard to, to take, you know, Mount Zion. It was on that hill, and that's where the city of David was. But also there uh, was where Jerusalem was for 500 years. It was under the, the occupation of the Jebusites. When Joshua brought the children of Israel into the promised land, And you read the book of Joshua, and they began to conquer the land, drive out the inhabitants. But it was an incomplete occupation and an incomplete of driving out those Canaanite tribes. And where Jerusalem was for 500 years, it was the Jebusites that had that mountain. And actually, it was until David, they even would mock David as they would say to David, you can't you know, conquer us. We have no worries. And they were so confident in having their city and the walls there on that mountain, Mount Moriah, where Jerusalem would be. And of course, David had Joab. Joab found a way into the city through an aqueduct, and they conquered the city. But it speaks of safety. It speaks of protection as the church at Sardis, as you do a study on that in the book of Revelation, Sardis was up on this this cliff and they were so confident that nobody could conquer them, that no one can overthrow us, no one can, can come against us. And it was Jesus that said, you need to watch. You need to watch. Because they got very sleepy and sloppy and weren't watching and all of a sudden they ended up being conquered because somebody found a way up there. But God is our protector, and he's the one that will not fail us. And as we trust in him, not only does he bring stability, but he protects us. And I want to make an application here, because sometimes in our lives we have a mountain that we end up facing, don't we? And we wonder, Lord, why is this mountain here? Why am I struggling here? Why, why this mountain before me? And sometimes it's because he wants to protect us. And I don't always know why the Lord has mountains that are placed before me. But I do know that as it is, that he's still working sovereignly. And sometimes he's bringing protection to me. I can look back at my life and I can wonder, Lord, why was this mountain? Why this struggle? Why this difficulty? Why didn't I get this desire that I wanted? Why didn't it go this way that I expected it to? And it could seem like it's hard and difficult and it's hard climb, you know, to get over this situation. But I can look back and I can see at times that he was protecting me. Sometimes young people will come to me and say, you know, why this relationship didn't work out? My boyfriend, my girlfriend, maybe he was protecting you. 
I don't know for sure, but you can trust God with your life. Sometimes people will say, how come I didn't get that promotion and get to move to that place that we're looking forward to? Well, maybe there was something there that, that the Lord knew would cause harm to you and he was protecting you. So those mountains that are before us, the Lord surrounds us as the psalmist is saying, and he brings stability and as the mountains surround Jerusalem. So the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore to not only make us strong, but to bring protection to you and to me. And then the second group he talks about, the righteous, are, as we see in um, verse 3, for the scepter of wickedness will not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous reach out their hands to iniquity. In other words, the, the, the wicked are not going to rest. And the righteous, the Lord surrounds us and we will not reach out to iniquity. It's interesting here that we were singing about, I was thinking about this when we were singing one of the songs, that we rest in the Lord. And one of the things that I tell people oftentimes, and perhaps I've told you, that the Lord not only wants us to trust in him, but he wants us to rest in him. And sometimes that's the hard part. And that resting is just having the assurance and the confidence of, Lord, that you are working in my life, that I have the peace and the assurance that you love me and your promises are true for me. Because I can trust in the Lord. Okay, I'm trusting in you, but I get anxious because I want to know how it is that things are going to end. I want to know what's going to happen in a week or a month or six months or a year from now. And if I can't see that result, I start to worry, I start to fret, I start to wonder. And he wants me to, to not only trust in him day by day, but just rest that he is going to work in my life. And he is working according to his will. And his promises are true for me. So he wants to bring us to that rest. And so here we see that the scepter of wickedness shall not rest. In other words, that those who don't have the Lord, there's no real rest that they have. So we are blessed as God's people to not only trust in him and have stability and protection, but to be able to rest. And I don't know about you, but in those times where I don't know what the end result's going to be, Lord, I pray for your rest. Just that peace and that confidence and assurance that you see me and you love me and you're working in my life. The wicked will not rest and the Lord surrounds us so we will not reach out to iniquity. The righteous are ones that are pursuing righteousness and holiness. And again, I just want to remind all of us, that's the best way to live, is to pursue the righteousness and the holiness of Jesus Christ as we are obedient to him. The way to really experience life abundantly is walk the highway of holiness. And that is something that we see that the psalmist speak of over and over again. And then in verses 4 and 5, the workers of iniquity do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. As for such as turn aside their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them away with the workers of iniquity. So the workers of iniquity, God will judge one day the wicked and the disobedient. And for those who have done good, we know that the Lord is going to reward us and he's going to bring blessing to us. So that's Psalm 125. And then Psalm 126, again, the title reads, A Song of Ascents. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Now, it is believed, and it's obvious as we go through this psalm, 
that this was written after the return of the, cap, uh, the Babylonian captivity. And just to refresh your memory, if you knew the Bible study, that um, Judah went off into captivity in 605 B.C. by the Babylonians. In 536 B.C., Cyrus would give that decree that they were free to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. So Zerubbabel and Joshua the high priest would lead a contingency of just under 50,000 from Babylon, making that journey all the way across the desert into the Jordan Valley, then up to Jerusalem. And as the psalmist here is speaking about, that it was a very joyous time. It was uh, a time of celebration. And here the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion. We were like those who dream. It's like a dream come true. When we get to Psalm 137, we're going to see that the psalmist is, is grieving because he's remembering that when they were in captivity, how the Babylonians used to mock the Jews and, and say, sing us a song of Zion. And, and they did that to mock them, to remind them that you're not in Zion. You're not in Jerusalem. And Solomon's temple's been destroyed. And you're out of your homeland. So the psalmist would write that we hang our harps upon the willows as they would remind them that we've overtaken you and you're not in your homeland and Jerusalem is destroyed. Go ahead, do a dance, sing about Zion. They did it in a very mocking way. And here this psalm speaks about that a dream came true. They would dream about coming back to Jerusalem. They would dream about being you know, out of that captivity. And it finally happened after 70 years. And here the pilgrims coming up to Jerusalem. And I wonder what they thought as they're coming up the hill and, and they see the Mount of Olives and they're coming to Jerusalem. It's like, oh, it, this is like a dream come true. The excitement that would be there. The excitement that they would see Jerusalem, many of them, if not most of them, would see Jerusalem for the very first time. You see, many of them were born in captivity. Many of them were in Babylon, had never seen you know, Jerusalem at all. Nehemiah, he wasn't born in Jerusalem. When he came back in the third wave of, of return to rebuild the walls in 445 B.C., he had never been to Jerusalem. He had heard from his brother that Jerusalem laid in rubble. He was the cupbearer to the king of Persia. And he says, I want to go back to the home of my brethren, and I want to rebuild the walls. But they would come up to the hills, and it was like a dream come true. You know, we have dreams, don't we? And sometimes when, when something really exciting happens in life, we say, oh, it's a dream that has come true, right? It's very exciting. But I pray for you and for me that as we realize that heaven is waiting for us, heaven is real for us, that one day we're going to be all together. And I think that we should long for heaven. I can't wait for heaven to, to come when we're all together. And when we're all together, it's going to be like a dream come true. And when I read the scriptures, how we're going to be with the Lord, and, and then we're going to return with the Lord, and we're going to rule and reign with the Lord when he establishes his kingdom. It's not a dream. It's going to be reality. But I do think and I dream about that time. And I can't wait till we're all together with the Lord and how exciting it's going to be. But one of the things I was thinking about as I was looking at that is these pilgrims were coming up as a dream come true. And, and I wonder what they thought when they saw Jerusalem. They're in rubble, burnt, piles of stone. The magnificent temple Solomon had built was destroyed. And I know that it would be hard for them. And I know that it would be difficult for them. 
And they would have to push the stones aside and lay the foundation of the temple and build the temple. And then Nehemiah came along and built the wall in 52 days, which was a miracle. But it was, you know, the, the people in the area that were discouraging them and coming against them, the Sambalots and Tobias and trying to get Nehemiah off the wall. And Nehemiah was encouraging the people because they became weak. And, and they said, we can't do this work. The stones are just, there's too much rubble. And Nehemiah, he would station the, the men in front of their homes and in front of their families. And he said, God is great and awesome. And remember, fight for your brethren, fight for your wives, fight for your children. We're going to go home and be with the Lord. But in the meantime, it can be difficult at times on this side of eternity, isn't it? And it can be those times where we feel weak and this is hard and this is difficult Listen, I go through those times. I go through those times where I feel beat down and tired. And Lord, I don't know, you know, how much more I can do. There are times where I'm weary and I have to remember the words of Nehemiah that God is great and awesome. And you keep fighting because it is a battle out there, isn't it? It's not a playground. It is a battleground out there. And I believe that the enemy, as God continues to bless Calvary Chapel here, that the spiritual warfare is increasing. And the pressure, he's not happy. The Sanballats and the Tobias, you know, come down off the wall and let's talk about it and setting up traps and all this. We need to continue to be on the wall with a trial in one hand and a sword in the other. The sword, uh, the spirit. You know, sword of the spirit is the word of God and serving the Lord, the trial on the other hand. And we fight for our families. We fight for our brethren. We fight for what is right because we're going to go to heaven and we're all going to be together. And it's a fight worth, you know, continuing in and battling. When David came in that valley and there's Goliath stomping up and down the valley, who's going to challenge me? Somebody come and fight me. And the, uh, all the army of Israel was shaking in their boots and they trembled. And, and he did it for 40 days as he would challenge them. And David, he was even too young to be in the army. He's bringing food to his brothers. And he sees Goliath doing that. And he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine to defile the armies of God? He said, don't we have a cause? And I like that. Don't we have a cause? Don't we have a reason to fight? And I remember those words of David oftentimes when I'm feeling down and discouraged and shaking in my boots. That don't we have a cause? We have a cause. We need to keep fighting and be strong and encourage one another. So here they are, they're coming back to Zion and verse 2, and our mouths was filled with laughter and our tongues with singing and they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. Ah, oh, that's what we need to remember. We need to keep rejoicing the Lord. We need to keep praising him and thanking him for what he has done. As I've mentioned to you, next month we're going to have a very special Sunday. As we're going to remember and celebrate 20 years of, of Calvary Chapel Greeley. We're going to be 20 years old, and, and I remember when we first started and I remembered, you know, those days. And, and I'm so thankful for what the Lord has done, great things that he has done. And I just have a song in my heart. And I pray that we would all together just, 
just be rejoicing what God has done and also be looking forward to what he wants to do because I really believe that the best is yet to come. And we can look at him and say, great things that you have done. We can look at our lives and we can be thankful. Lord, you have done great things. And, and people ha- will have to admit that God is working in our lives. He's working in this church. His hand is on us. His grace has been given to us. And so here, the Lord has done great things. They have said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. And I pray that people do recognize the reality of Jesus in your life, that he's real and you're changing, you're a new person and, and you have the light of the world in you and he's doing great things and growing you and maturing you and making you stable. And people are saying, man, they're different. Man, you're not what you used to be because I'm a new creature in Christ. I have a new heart. The Lord has changed me. I'm born again by the Spirit of God. And as we have the reality of Jesus working in our lives, people are going to say, man, he has done great things for us. And the Lord has done great things for us corporately as a church together. And he wants to continue to do great things. I know he does. I am so excited about this summer and what he wants to do as we continue in the radio programs and the VBS reaching out as we continue to to pray about reaching out to this community. I hope you're excited. I hope you're excited to be a part of that. And so the psalmist here talking about that we are glad and bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. And those who sow in tears shall reap in joy, verse 5. And he who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing and bringing his sheaves with him. Kind of sounds a little bit... um, as we look at this, it's like what is being said, but they needed to go back to work when they got in the land. They looked at Jerusalem and said, oh, it's in rubble. We're going to clear it off. We're going to make the, the altar to sacrifice so we can do the morning and evening sacrifices. We're going to build the temple. And then we're going to start rebuilding Jerusalem, start working the land. There was so much work that needed to be done. Jesus, when he looked at the multitudes, Matthew tells us that he looked at the multitudes with compassion as sheep that were scattered without a shepherd. And he returned to his disciples and he said, look, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to raise up laborers. And I just want to say, there's a harvest out there, folks. There really is. And I pray that God will continue to raise up laborers to do the work of the Lord. For us to really have compassion for the lost. To really have compassion for those who don't have Jesus. Do we have a heart for the lost? You see, what can happen with me, what can happen with any of us, what can happen to us as a church, is we start to lose that perspective of what really is the priority, what really is important. We can turn inwardly, and it's about us and what we want and, and, and all the things that can distract us away from the harvest. Away from the harvest and caring about people. And, and Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I pray that we never lose that. 
I pray that it is about me and, and, and what I want and what I you know, want in a church and this is my expectation. I understand it's all a part of it, but let's not lose sight that what we're to be about is this needs to be a hospital for people who are hurting, who are sick spiritually. And there's a lot of sick people out there. And I don't say that in a derogatory term. I say that in a way that they are dying spiritually. They're dead spiritually. May this be a place where we revive them and give them life, Jesus Christ. That those who are hurting, that have been away from the Lord and wanting to come back, that they're loved and cared for. There's a harvest that is out there. Be a laborer, especially as you see the day approaching. As we know that the Lord is coming back and the day in which we are in, we are privileged to be able to be a part of that labor force for the harvest. It's plentiful when you go out of this place. When you go to your workplace, out in the field, guys, at school, to be able to be a light and a witness, be a laborer, joining in together. I pray that we would say, Lord, what is it that you want us to do and continue to reach out in the love of Jesus Christ in every way that we can? So here, there's, there was a lot of work to be done, but there was, was a joyful return. There should be joy in us as we keep the priority of, Lord, we are going to be about you, the kingdom of God, and telling people the gospel and the truth because there's darkness and there's evil and people are lost eternally if they don't turn to Jesus Christ. You know, I was reading, I'm doing a devotion in Luke and just kind of reading ahead and, and, and in my morning readings. And, and it wasn't just this week, I was reading about Lazarus and the rich man. That's not a parable. In the parables, you'll notice that there's no names that are given. It's a real story. He said, there's a rich man in Lazarus who was, you know, uh, you know, begging for scraps and the dogs licked his wounds and Lazarus went to paradise and the rich man went to the place of the unrighteous dead. And, and you guys know the chapter, chapter 16, that it was Lazarus that yelled over to Abraham across the chasm and said, dip your finger in water. Can you just touch my tongue? And it really hit me. I can't imagine what it would be like to be thirsty for eternity. It's real. And when we really realize that eternity is real, we're all going to move into eternity, either with Jesus Christ and praise God we are. And I look forward to us being together or separate from him. And we should have that perspective of, Lord, just as David said, I weep. I weep for those who don't have your word, who don't walk in your ways. And we should weep in our hearts. We should weep in our hearts for the loss and desire to reach out to them in your place of influence, people that are linked to you in your life and how you're able to. Just don't lose that. Eternity is real. So the psalmist saying there's a lot that needs to be done, bringing his sheaves with him. And then Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build up. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. 
I love verse 1 here. Matter of fact, uh, if you've been to a wedding that I've officiated, sometimes I'll use Psalm 127, verse 1, when I'm addressing the couple that, that I'm, you know, uh, officiating that, the wedding ceremony. And, and I'll use this verse because it's a short verse, but it's a very powerful verse. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Let the Lord build your life. Let the Lord build your marriage. Let the Lord build your ministry. He's the one that is to build it. You know, tomorrow, Sue and I are going to celebrate six years of marriage. And I feel tremendously blessed, like the most blessed man in the world, being married to Sue. But a real key in our life for 26 years is we've allowed the Lord to build our lives. You know, we, we don't have a perfect life. None of us do. And I'm not saying this to boast at all. Please don't misunderstand me. I say it very humbly. I say it with thanksgiving. I give glory to God in his incredible grace. But one of the things that we desire to do is, Lord, you build our lives. Let him build your life. Okay. Your marriage, whatever state that you're in, you build upon the firm foundation. We've had the storms come into our lives like everybody does. But as we built upon Jesus Christ and just desired to do his will and walk in his ways, we were been able to stand because of him. He's our strength. He's our foundation. And I want to give that as a testimony to you that he wants to do the same thing with you. And he's doing it with you, with many of you. Let him build your life. Because if you try to do it in your own strength, in your own ability, in your own togetherness, in your own intellect, and I'm going to do it my way, and I'm going to do it how I want, it's going to crumble eventually. It's going to crumble or it's not going to be what it could be in the Lord. This is written by Solomon here in Psalm 127. Solomon, he built a lot of homes. He built the temple. He built, you know, the house of Lebanon, his palace that took seven years. He built large stables that held 400 horses. It was like a warehouse that had 400, you know, luxury cars in today's, you know, economy. He had everything. He had everything. Everything that the world would want. I mean, he was so wealthy, rocks or silver was like rocks in Jerusalem. He had golden sandals. He had a thousand wives and concubines. He had all these buildings. He had great knowledge. He had, you know, exotic animals that he had at his parties. He had everything that you want. He had knowledge. He was a biologist. He had wisdom. He had the fame that leaders from all over came and gave him gifts. There was no more women to have. There was no more investments to make. There was no more money to have. There was no more buildings to build. He had it all. He had it all. And he writes the book of Ecclesiastes, doesn't he? And he says, where's the satisfaction? Where's the fulfillment? It's all vanity. It's all vain. There's nothing new under the sun. And at the end of the book, he says, here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear, fear God and keep his commandments. 
And I think that's what he's saying here. He's saying, listen, unless the Lord builds the house, you labor in vain who build it. If you're a watchman that stays awake in vain, it's vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. It sounds discouraging. But he's telling us something that's very important for us to understand. He had it all, but he said it's all vanity. That's one of the fallacies of the prosperity doctrine and and gospel and word faith that's so prevalent in the church and has been for 40 years and people sucked up into it. And, And it's the focus is on stuff, the temporary. Listen, I know God can bless us. I know Abraham was wealthy. David was wealthy. I understand that. But Abraham was a friend of God. And it was the Lord that said, Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go up to the mountain and offer him as a sacrifice. And what did Abraham do? He loved God so much that he was willing to sacrifice his son. That was the priority. David had a heart after God. So God does bless, I understand that. But oftentimes when people challenge me and they say, how can you say that? God wants us to be wealthy. We need to have faith. And, and I ask them, okay, here's in the honesty of your heart. I want you to answer me this. Is your focus on the temporal or on the eternal? On the material or the spiritual? On the gift or the giver? Really, where's your focus? He's the one that owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I understand that. But however the Lord has blessed us, because every good gift comes from above, he's the priority, the eternal, the spiritual. So a thousand years after Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes, it's all vanity, Paul the Apostle comes along and he writes to the Corinthian church something very simple. And he says, to be carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. Paul the Apostle says, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You want to experience life the way it's meant to be? Then you be spiritually minded. You want to start experiencing death in your soul and in your spiritual life, be carnally minded. It's real simple. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat bread of sorrow, so he who gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior. So are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has a quiver full of them. And they shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies at the gate. The Lord is telling us, and he does throughout his word, that children are a blessing. Wasn't it a blessing to bring these, these kids up? They're no longer children. But may we make them feel loved and appreciate it. Mother's Day, we're going to be praying for the ministry of moms and grandmothers and Father's Day next month. 
And I want to pray for all of you that are mothers and fathers and grandparents and those who have influence over our young people. They are very precious in the sight of God. He knows that everything that the Lord has to say about children is very serious. He says, you want to be great in the kingdom of God? Humble yourself as a child. You want to know the kingdom of God? Humble yourself and come in childlike faith. He says, don't cause one of these little ones to stumble. It would be better that a millstone be hung around your neck and thrown into the sea. For those of us, when we go to Israel, I'm going to show you a millstone. If it's hung around your neck, you're going to sink really fast. Jesus was very serious about, don't prevent the children to come to me. I just want to say this. Sunday, I was so blessed. These children's ministry rooms were packed with kids, 9, 30, 11. And I was looking at them. I was thinking how privileged that we are to be able to minister to your children. That you entrust them to us and those who who work so hard in ministering to them. And I pray that that's a priority here. That it's not just babysitting or putting them in a corner, but they're learning the word of God. At the baptism, we had a wonderful time at the baptism. And some of the kids came out to be baptized. And they're just, they're saying, I love Jesus. I have him in my heart. Because the world's pulling them away. And this is a place for them to be loved and encouraged. So pray for those who are working with the kids, ministering to them. Pray for Heather and, and, and those who are going to be at the VBS. We have opportunity to present Jesus to them. This is my own personal opinion, and I'm not saying this to put a guilt trip on anybody, please, or try to manipulate. I think there should be a waiting list. For those who are wanting to minister to the kids. That's how valuable we should see them. And I know that not all of us are called to do that. I understand that. But I pray that we wouldn't walk by those children's ministry rooms and not be thankful and pray for them. Because the world wants to do them in. The world's going to lie to them and say, there is no God There is no God, and you're just a product of a monkey, and we get to give them truth. Two things that we get to give them that the world can, and that is love and truth. May we continue to do that, because they are important in the sight of God. And may that be a priority here for us, for these children, for these guys upstairs. Let's pray for them. Let's encourage them. Let's bless them, because the world is out to get them. But we're going to pray for them and love them and appreciate them. Make sure they're safe and that they're being ministered the word of God. That they can grow up knowing him. We can't forget about the next generation. We can't, folks. And I know that there are churches that are dying because they forgot the next generation. And Usually when I talk to the leadership or to the pastors, usually it's because they turn inwardly and this is the way we do it and we're going to do it this way and we don't want to change things. And they got stuck in a rut. And they forgot the next generation. We cannot do that. 
We need to remember them and bless them and encourage them and have a reason for them to come. And that is they're loved and we're giving them truth and we're giving them Jesus. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for just these short psalms that we've looked at, being reminded that, Lord, we have so much to rejoice in and be thankful for. Our children, your grace, ah, the opportunity to serve you, Lord. And so now as we come to the communion table, I pray that, that as we hold the elements in our hands, we would remember the cross. That Jesus came to this world to die for us. That he is our salvation. And that we would never have that lose that impact in our hearts of this new covenant that we belong to. And Father, I do pray the communion tables for the believer. It won't mean anything to you if, if you're not a believer. So I do want to give the gospel tonight for anybody who perhaps has not embraced the gospel. Maybe you're listening on live stream. Don't turn it off. Continue to listen. Jesus loves you, and he came to this world and died for you. Because we have all sinned. And none of us can be good enough for heaven in and of ourselves. Jesus did the work for you. He went to a cross and died for your sins. Made atonement for your sins. He was put into a grave, and he rose again after three days. He is your salvation. He is your hope. He is Lord. He proved it by rising from the grave. There's none other. And he says, come, come to me. If he's knocking on the door of your heart, the word says, and the promise is that you open up your heart, the door of your heart, he will come in. And he will sit upon the throne of your heart, of your life, as you ask him in as your personal Lord and Savior. He will forgive you. You have the promise of heaven. You'll be a, a new person, and you'll have real relationship and access to the Father. That only comes through Jesus. You call out to him. You surrender. You repent. Turn the direction that you're going. Surrender your life to him and call out to him. Believe in him for what he has done for you. And you pray, Jesus, I come to you. I am a sinner. I confess it. And I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on that cross for me and you rose again and that you're alive. And I ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior. And I thank you for dying for me and help me to know you more, to be surrendered to you all the days of my life in Jesus' name. And if anybody by chance prayed that, when I'm done with the service, when we're done with communion, come up and tell me the decision you made. But right now, let's just continue to worship as the communion elements are handed out and we'll partake of it together. Mm-hmm.